It's a favorite text of mine, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, the healing of the paralytic at the pool. Uh, It is, uh, for those of you who like things cast in stone, tied down, firmed up, no questions asked about things, I promise you this is not the text for you. This is one of those texts that begins with uh, Jesus going into Jerusalem, and the text reads, for one of the Jewish festivals. So if you read all of the commentators, you all know that there are people who, who make a living writing about the scriptures and telling you what to think about the scriptures. If you read all of those commentators, they will tell you that they have no idea what festival this was for. They all have opinions, but none of them really know what the festival was all about. And it goes on to tell us that uh, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, by the way, there is really a Sheep Gate. You can go to the Sheep Gate. Uh, Becky and I, my wife is back over here, middle of the pews, and uh, we've been to Israel a couple of times, been through Jerusalem, been to the Sheep Gate. It's a real place you can go to. Uh, so that, that's one thing we can count on here in the scripture. It says that near the Sheep Gate, uh, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, Now, you would think that we could at least get the town right, right? I mean, you would think that everybody would agree that this is the location, but in fact, we don't agree because if you you read different uh, versions of the scriptures, uh, you will find that one of them calls it Bethsaida, which is the house of the fishermen, or one calls it Bethzatha, which is the house of olives, or uh, Bethsaida. Bethesda, House of Mercy. I'm going to stumble over this this morning. Or if you go with the Roman historian Josephus, Josephus, he calls it Bezatha. So we don't even, we don't even agree on the town that this place took place, this thing took place. But the description fits. There are, it's a place that is, it's a pool, and it's surrounded by five porches, covered colonnades is the language used in the scripture. Uh, and Around this pool, under these covered colonnades, uh, we find that people used to go, disabled people, people in need of healing, people looking for God's touch in their lives, people looking to recover, people trying to get well, people trying to experience the life that God had promised to him. And one of those people who was gathered around the pool was a paralytic, a paralyzed man. He'd been there for 38 years, the scripture tells us. Now, I don't know how it works here. Uh, I'm kind of new to the Cocoa Beach area, so uh, I don't know how this church does things yet. I'm still trying to figure that stuff out. Uh, But most of the places, if if you take my little country church that I served up in North Carolina for a while, uh, if somebody got sick or somebody had a need, what do we do? We gather around them, right? The people of the church get together and they, they bring casseroles. Y'all bring casseroles here in Cocoa Beach, stock the freezer for people, make sure they got plenty to eat. And usually there's two or three women that, that go over to the house in this time of crisis, whatever the crisis is. And, and they spend two or three days and they handle the guests who are coming in and they, they make sure that everybody's taken care of and the food is warm and all that kind of stuff. But after about three days, those ladies have lives to get back to. They got stuff to do. They got their own families to take care of. So, so now we're kind of left on our own. Well, I think that's probably what happened here. This paralyzed man, he couldn't get there by himself. He obviously had to have some friends who got him to this pool in whatever name place we want to give it, 
We do know that it's a pool uh, and that it's not just a fountain type of pool. It's a, the Greek word for pool that's translated here actually means it's deep enough to swim in. So uh, we've got this pool that this paralyzed man is brought to in the hope that he can be the first one in the water when the water ripples and he can be healed. Now, in your Bible, if you're reading along with us this morning, you may have noticed that verse 4 is missing from this text. This is one of the few places in the Bible that you just kind of skip over a whole verse. It's not missing from the whole Bible. It's down in the footnotes underneath the text of your scriptures. And that verse number 4 is considered to be a scribal edition. Somebody early in the, the print, you know, writing of the Bible and printing, you know, writing extra text of pass it around. Somebody decided that they wanted to make sure that people understood that what was really happening here was a superstitious people who believed that when the water rippled, the surface of the water rippled, that angels had come down and touched the surface of the water. And that if you were the first one in the water after the angels had touched the surface of the water, you got to be healed. So these people would come and they would, they would be there, some of them for a very long time, like the man that we're talking about in our text this morning, this man who was paralyzed, who has been there for 38 years, trying to be the first one in the water so that he can be healed. If he's been there for 38 years and the water ripples just once a day, that means he's been disappointed 13,870 times. Friends, that's a lot of disappointment. You and I have known disappointment in our lives, but 13,870 times, that's a lot of disappointment. And this guy is lying there by the pool just hoping that somebody will help him be in the water first. Now it's into this scene that Jesus steps. Now, John's gospel is really clear that Jesus did not just come to perform miracles. But apparently, even Jesus can't help, help himself this time. So Jesus walks into the scene. He's got all these people lying around the pool. And he comes across this man, a paralytic. And he, and he looks at him, and he sees him, and, he, and he, he says to him, Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well. Now, I want to focus the rest of our time on that question. Do you want to get well? Because I think it's a really, really important question. And, and one of the things that Jesus did extremely well was ask powerful questions. Now, I come one of the things that I do is I'm a certified professional certified coach with International Coach Federation and at the heart of coaching conversations coaching relationships is this idea of asking powerful questions and there is nobody that is better at asking powerful questions than Jesus and he says to this man do you want to get well now that's an interesting word do you want to get well? That word, well. Uh, if you ask me, and some of you have already this morning, how you doing, Phil? My most common response to you is, I am well. And I say that I am well because I am. 
I am usually well. I am usually not sick. If I were sick, if I were under the weather, if I were having symptoms of some kind, I would probably tell you about all the symptoms that I'm having, and then you'll wish that you would not ask me if I was, how I was doing. And then, if that's not enough of a reason for kind of asking, you know, looking at this question, looking at this idea of wellness, uh, do I have any teachers in the room? Any retired teachers? Got a, couple, got a couple of retired teachers in the room. Thank you, teachers. I want to just do a shout out to my grammar teacher from elementary school, who would be most amazed, because she wasn't convinced at the time that I was learning anything, but she would be most amazed that I actually did walk away with something. And I walked away with an understanding that it is more grammatically correct to say to you that I am well, rather than to say I am good. So if you ask me how I am, and I want to be grammatically correct, I will tell you that I am well, because that's the right way to say it. But just in case we had any confusion about whether I was well or good, Jesus made it really clear, I know, you don't know me well enough, I know me well enough to know that I am not good, but in case I had any delusions about whether I'm good or not, all I have to do is look to Scripture, because Jesus said, why do you call me good? Because only, somebody say it, the Father is good. Only God is good. So if you got any delusions about whether you're good or not, just kind of set those aside and just tell people you're well. That's a much more appropriate response here. So I am well. When we think about wellness in our culture, we tend to think about it as an absence of sickness. But in the Greek, this word that's translated well has a whole spectrum of meanings. So let me just share a couple of them with you. It means, for example, saved. So Jesus is asking the man, do you want to be saved? It means whole. Do you want to be whole? It means abundant life. Do you want to, do you want to have the abundant life that God wants to pour into you? Do you want to experience the fullness of everything God wants to bring into your life? Here's this word that has so much meaning attached to it. And in our English, we just kind of lose all that. But in the Greek, they understood this wellness was bigger than just an absence of physical symptoms. It was, an, it was a question asking about our longing for everything that God wants to pour into our lives to help us become everything that God wants us to be. Do you want to be well? Well, here, here the verb in there, want. Do you want? You all can pick up on this right away, right? If you've got a word that says, do you want, guess what you get to do? You get to choose. You get to choose. Do you want to be well? You get to choose if you want to be saved. You get to choose if you want to be whole. You get to choose if you want to have this completeness. You get to choose if you want this abundant life that God wants to pour into you. You get to choose. It is a central tenet of our faith. We talk about it in terms of free will. You and I, God does not make us be saved. God does not make us be whole. God does not make us be complete. God does not make us live out this fullness of life, this abundant life that he wants for us. God allows us to choose. You and I get to choose if we want to be saved. 
or whole or well. This is the very same. Some of you remember the story that Jesus is walking along the countryside road and he comes across a group of lepers and one of the lepers calls out to him and he says, Jesus, if you will, heal me. And Jesus says, I will be healed. That word, will, it's exactly the same word that we find in our text this morning, want. Do you want to be well? Do you choose to be well? Do you choose to experience everything that God desires for you? You even get to choose how much of it you want. You get to choose how much of Jesus you want in your life. Several years ago, Becky and I were on our favorite date night. Uh, do y'all have date nights? Anybody have a date night? With okay, I got some hands going up there. Uh, our, we don't do it very much anymore because we ran out of places to put books. But uh, our favorite date night was to go out for an inexpensive dinner, and then we would go to Barnes & Noble, and we would grab a cappuccino or something and find a book or two or six. Uh, I would sit there, and I could read read pretty much a book while I'm sitting there waiting for Becky to look through her six or eight or ten uh, that she's scanning through trying to decide which one she wants to buy and take home. And one of the books one evening that I came across was a book by a Harvard theologian. His name is Harvey Cox. Now, the reason that I picked this particular book was the title. Uh, the title of the book was on not leaving it to the snake. And I'm thinking, wow, a Harvard theologian talking about the snake, the evil one. So it seems like it would be a worthwhile read. So I picked it up and I'm reading through this book and I got about halfway through it and I came across a quote that I want to share with you this morning because I think Harvey has captured something that is really important for us. So it's up on the screen for you. He writes, the gospel is, first of all, a call to leave the past behind and to open ourselves to the promise of the future. I believe that a careful examination of the biblical sources will indicate that man's most debilitating proclivity, I love it when they use big words like that, is not his pride. It is not his attempt to be more than man, Rather, it is sloth. Ooh, it just sounds ugly, doesn't it? It's sloth. His unwillingness to be everything he is intended to be. Think about that for a moment. Because lots of us have been raised with the idea that, that at the heart of who we are, the heart of our human nature is this tendency to place ourselves at the center of our universe and try to be God of our lives and God of our families and so on. But, but Harvey is drawing our attention to something much deeper than that. He's reminding us that from the very beginning, God intended for us to be a people who lived a fullness of life, reflected, modeled, taught by Jesus, a life that invites us to in everything that we do, worship the God who created us. 
a life that invites us to live in deep, authentic relationships, not only with our God, but with one another, and even with the world around us. Jesus invites us to a life of deep communion with God, where as we practice our spiritual disciplines, we are drawn into the, the presence of God, and we, and we get to have those moments where we feel like we've got this direct line to God. Some of you have had that. It's a life where you and I get to, get to offer ourselves in service to other people so that we become expressions of God's love and compassion to the world around us. It's a, it's a life where you and I are called to, to live within margins so that we can be a people who can respond to needs that God places in our pathway. It's a life where you and I get to live like Jesus lived because when Jesus came, he modeled that and he taught it for us. And then he says, come follow me, be like me you can experience this fullness of life too. Do we want, do we choose to experience that life? Jesus comes to the man at the pool, has been there for 38 years, disappointed a whole bunch of times, and he says to him, get up, get up. Be everything that God called you to be. Pick up your mat and walk. That's the invitation to us today, an invitation to choose all that God has for us, all that God longs for us to be, all that God hopes for us to do. You and I are invited to choose to be whole, to be well, to be complete, to live that fullness of life that God intends for us. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful. We're grateful that you call us your own. We're grateful that you challenge us and encourage us and support us in, in becoming all that you call us to be. We thank you most of all that it is you who empower us to live into that life that you intend for us. Pour yourself into us today as we gather at the table in a few moments. Pour out your grace. Fill us with your presence. Inspire us and equip us to be all that you long for us to be. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.